it's like a telenovela. It's like a saga of <laughs> the non-federally recognized tribes of California. We can go on and on about like the the grotesque violence that happened, but uh, just like the story of like how it even happened is really it's got a lot of twists and turns, right? Non-federally recognized tribes want to access sacred sites or perform ceremonies that would be performed on federal land and don't have access. Welcome to Challenging Colonialism, a podcast dedicated to amplifying the voices of Native California. Episode 7 is a different format. You'll hear three voices in conversation recorded together rather than a scripted, edited narrative that interweaves multiple interviews. We hope you enjoy this wide-ranging discussion on federal recognition between Dr. Olivia Chilcote and Dr. Vanessa Escobedo, facilitated by co-producer Dr. Martin Rizzo-Martinez and lightly edited by myself, Daniel Stonewood. We want to acknowledge that this is an incredibly complex topic, and we are truly just scratching the surface in this discussion to provide some background information and a primer. So maybe we could start by having you each introduce yourselves. <laughs> We're polite Indians over here. <laughs> um, okay, so Hesam Natoya Vanessa Escovido and the Noroma K Fork Choki Ambus. Hi, my name is Vanessa Escovido. Uh, I'm an enrolled member of the Noroma Quintu Nation. I am also part Hupa and Chicana. Hello to all. My name is Olivia Chilcote. I am a member of the San Luis Rey Band of Mission Indians and an assistant professor of American Indian Studies at San Diego State University. Awesome. Well, thank you both so much for taking the time for this. Um, I'm going to start by asking a very broad uh, question, and um, if I could get you each to to maybe explain a little bit, what is, for those who don't understand or know anything about it, what is federal recognition? So I think at the most basic level, federal recognition means that the United States recognizes or acknowledges a tribe's um, inherent sovereignty and maintains a government-to-government relationship um, with that tribe. So it's a a political status um, that tribes have um, in the United States. And it's one that is, you know, based in the fact that tribes have sovereignty and were um, nations and had their own governing systems, um, political practices prior to um, the creation of the the United States. I think she nailed it. (laughs) (laughs) But federal recognition um, allows a lot of access to funding, to uh, services and you know, it's uh, political as well, right? So we have seats at tables if you're federally recognized. And uh, unfortunately in California, across the United States, but especially in California, uh, there's a lot of unfederally recognized tribes. There's a lot of reasons why we want to be federally recognized. And I think some of the biggest ones is just access. It's access to benefits. It's access to um, potential funding. It's access to a seat at the table for decision-making. Um, and that could be for our water, that could be for our land, that can be so important for what we fight for all the time to be recognized, uh, to be able to sit in those positions. Um, I think California is doing a bit, uh, you know, a slightly better job of listening to non-fairly recognized tribes as well. I know my tribe has a lot of 
agreements with uh, Forest Service and stuff like that. And, and just to specify, I'm talking about my Norel Muck 1-2 side. So that's the tribe who is not fairly recognized. And that's the one I'm enrolled in. And so I think it's really important uh, to have federal recognition for just the easier way to have access. A lot of us have been able to kind of move without the federal recognition and, and find ways to um, get scholarships or funding for our tribe or land bases. But at the same time, uh, it's just a lot more work and this is extremely harder to, to get. Yeah. So I, I agree that, you know, one, one reason among many is, um, you know, critical resource access, um, funding opportunities, you know, related to housing or medical education, employment. Um, you know, I think that, you know, federally recognized tribes do receive um, significant financial and technical assistance um, under all kinds of programs uh, that were created by the by the federal government, um, specifically because tribes have that government to government relationship um, with the United States. So, you know, it's you know, there's a there's a legal doctrine known as the the federal trust responsibility, and you know that is supposed to mean that the federal government has the duty um, and moral obligation to fulfill promises to tribes and to support tribal self government. And so, a lot of the funding and programs and services that exist for tribes um, comes from that, and that you know those um, resources. I think are crucial um, to uh, tribal communities and non-federally recognized tribes um, should, you know, be able to have access to to those same um, resources um, and programs that you know other tribes have access to as well. I think also um, a big one is um, having land. Um, that we can have taken into trust. Um, so, you know, to have a reservation, um, which, you know, would then be immune from state taxation. So I think that, um, you know, to have a reservation would be, you know, transformative for a lot of our non-federally recognized tribes um, where we could, you know, have enforceable power and exercise our uh, jurisdiction over our reservation land. And, you know, there, there are a lot of non-federally recognized tribes that are, are really successful right now getting land back um, or having land returned. Um, but, you know, those lands that are being returned, they, they still don't have the same um, legal status as, as a reservation. And so I think that you know, that kind of goes hand in hand with um, uh, why you know, a, a really big reason why um, non-federally recognized tribes want to um, gain that that status. This just happened, and I'm so excited to share this. Hot off the press. <laughs> <laughs> I just went to my tribal gathering and this last weekend for Memorial Day weekend, and I found out that um, I kind of knew a little bit about it, but not all, all, a lot about it. So I, I talked to the tribal chair, uh, Sunny Hayward, and I asked him to, to tell me more about it, that uh, my tribe was just given a school. So there's a little school up in the hills uh, in Trinity County, and it's called uh, Cox Bar Elementary. It closed down, but it's on Forest Service land. And so the Forest Service said, you need to demolish this 
building. And so the one of the um, superintendents seen my travel chair uh, across the street and like, hey, we got a school for you. I should take it. Uh, they sold it to us for $1. So we paid $1 for the school. It's a little small school, but it's perfect for what my tribe needs. But exactly what Olivia was saying, right? Like then came the taxes. And then how do we upkeep? I mean, it's a it's a, a wonderful thing, but also how do we do this upkeep? How do we get it up to speed where we can do Zoom calls, right? For people who are not, we don't have a we don't have a land base, right? So people have moved away. And so, you know, Zoom is really important now uh, in general in the world, but also for my tribe. And so trying to get internet up there, you know, like there's so much more that comes with it, which is fantastic. I love to have these problems, but at the same time, like it's, uh, you know, we, we still are getting hit with taxes. We also got some, we're in the process and I can't say too much about this, but we're in the process of getting some land back and that we almost denied it because we weren't going to be able to afford the taxes. Luckily we found another way to, to, you know, write a grant and, and go through a process, but, um, just, you know, we are almost going to have to deny our traditional homelands that are given back to us because we can't afford it. And so uh, it's just federal recognition is is really important. And I also want to say that, you know what, we're all tired of wasting our damn time for federal recognition. We're wasting time. I know several people who have given their lives to try to go through the federal recognition process for my tribe. I'm sure you do too, Olivia. And just they don't want to recognize us. I mean, it's built that way, right? Like this is by design. This is not, you know, <laughs> they don't want to make it where we can actually be recognized. And so my tribe has been going through the federal recognition process since the year before I was born. Um, so it's 39 years old this year. And uh, we've seen two tribal chairs just give so much or three tribal chairs just give so much. And, you know, we don't have the funding. We're not getting paid for um, keeping our tribe, you know, like people on tribal council. So it's everyone's volunteering. You know, this is all volunteer. This is all out of keeping our community together and for us, by us. Um, so, you know, thank God for some of the people that met in garages and kept tribal documents in the back of their garage or in a house somewhere. Um, but they knew it was important 30, 40 years ago, right, to, to continue this. And uh, or that's when we started the petition. But of course, even before that. Um, so just, you know, so many of us have wasted so much damn time including my dissertation. <laughs> I would rather write about what we're doing <laughs> than about how long it took us to get federal recognition, which we still don't have. Another huge thing though, that I want to share and I'm really excited to share is, I'm, I guess I'm showing you, sharing you all my, my good stuff right here, <laughs> is that uh, we actually put up um, in Congress on April 6th, 2023, a bill. So we're going that route. <laughs> And I really hope that we can become federally recognized because there's just been no action or no movement in the federal acknowledgement process, the FAP, um, the process that we were talking about. And yeah, this is the year of don't waste my time. <laughs> yeah, I just like, you know, really appreciate you, you know, bringing up some of that, you know, just like the logistical side of things. Um just how much time it takes, how much energy, money, people's, yeah, elders are passing away every day, babies are being born. It's like, this is still going on. And same for me, it started before I was born <laughs> and, and it's still, and it's still going on. And then, you know, I, I have a, a child now and, and it's just like, I, 
I don't want this to continue and keep being passed on from generation to generation. This is not like the, you know, anything we want to hand down (laughs) to, you know, future generations. Like we want to see, um, like for my community, especially like to see the fruition of this process, whether it's yes, you're federally recognized or not, you know, we will continue on just like we always have been. Um, and you know, you know, potentially pursue other, other routes, um, as well. Um, and can, you know, as members of our, you know, non-federally recognized tribal communities, like we've just really seen, we've grown up with these issues. We've grown up around these initiatives that our communities have really tried, um, to accomplish. And, you know, we've seen the struggles we've seen our tribal governments, you know, try their best, but just like, you know, just like Vanessa said, like, this is all on volunteer time. Like it is difficult, you know, to be able to fund these things. And, you know, like we just don't have the resources and access. And, and I think, you know, that's part of, part of the reason why these, you know, this process does get drawn out for so long. You know, it's on one hand, it is, you know, the federal government on the other, it's, you know, we're struggling and like, we're just doing this on our own time because it is important and we, we keep it going, um, because we want to keep it going. Um, but it's, it's hard at the same time. Um, oh, and I did want to go back to, um, some of the reasons about why, um, pursuing federal recognition is important. Um, one that we, we didn't mention, um, but that I want to make sure we mention is um, the federal laws that exist um, to, um, yes, yes, yes. yeah, such as um, NAGPRA um, or the Indian Child Welfare Act. Um, you know, these are really, you know, important laws um, that are supposed to, you know, help with um, tribes having um, uh, ancestors, you know, remains and cultural items repatriated or, you know, to have control over um, the welfare of our tribal youth um, in foster care and adoption proceedings and um, the ability, you know, to use federally protected items like um, eagle feathers, Um, that are, you know, really central to our um, religious and spiritual and cultural practices. So, um, you know, without having access to those uh, federal laws and protections, uh, I think a lot of non-federally recognized tribes, you know, our our human rights are are disregarded um, and we can be, you know, treated differently. Um, you know, at all levels of government, um, by, you know, organizations, institutions, et cetera. So there's just this, um, you know, these really important um, uh, places of access um, that we aren't able to, you know, fully participate in. Um, And, and, um, also, um, you know, federal agencies that are required to consult with federally recognized tribes um, provide certain access or use rights not guaranteed um, to others. Um, 
and, you know, uh, will create collaborative or co-management agreements. And some non-federally recognized tribes have been able to, um, you know, work with federal agencies um, to, you know, like the National Park Service or the Forest Service, um, but others haven't. And there have been real um, issues that have come up where, you know, tribes want to, non-federally recognized tribes want to access, you know, sacred sites or perform ceremonies that would be performed on federal land and, you know, don't have access to those places. The other part I would like to talk about real fast is why it's important is uh, identity. Um, I think that's really important because, I mean, my first, one of the first conversations I had when I found out I was pregnant was whose tribe are we going to enroll my daughter in? Or at the time, you know, uh, I was married and it's like, who are we going to put WeJ in, right? I'm like, and it almost took my tribe completely out instantly because my tribe's not fully recognized. So of course I want her to have all the access to all of that. Um, so we enrolled her in her father's tribe. And so she's enrolled uh, in Big Valley Pomo um, Rancheria. And it was kind of devastating to me to be like, you know, like my tribe didn't even exist to be where she's enrolled at. Of course, you know, I, I instill uh, that she's Wintu, that she's Hoopa, that, you know, all of these things. But at the same time, it's just, it's huge conversations that I think a lot of times people don't think about when you think about federal recognition. Um, and I know that that's really important because I, I know my sister went through the same thing and her husband's Quinault and Yakima. So they're, the kids are enrolled at Quinault, not, you know, so we're constantly losing tribal members or possible tribal members because we don't have federal recognition because we want to have our, our kids, you're only allowed to be enrolled in one tribe. So, you know, we want them to have that access. And so my line ends at the Wintu tribe, right? Like, cause I'm not, I don't have any kids enrolled there. Like that doesn't make any sense. So just, it's a way to also continue the erasure of a tribe is that, you know, um, unless I make a political decision to put her in this tribe, you know, like enroll her in my tribe, but then that cuts her out of all the access that federal recognized tribes have. Um, I don't know if that was too convoluted, but <laughs> hopefully you got my point across. Um, and I also want to point out that uh, there's a huge reasons why certain tribes aren't recognized, right? Like the Ohlone the Mwakma Ohlone, you know, in, in San Francisco, uh, Berkeley area, uh, the um, LA, right, Tongva, uh, Duwamish in Seattle, like, these are huge ports, and huge land, you know, that's, you know, that's impacted, like LA, right, so like, of course, they don't want to recognize a tribe that's traditional homelands are, you know, there in LA, and, well, before it was LA, and I think that it's really important to see like there's a good reasons why they the federal government is invested in not recognizing um tribes i know that my tribe uh sits on a lot you know our traditional homelands have a lot of great timber um you know and then of course in your area in chumash area uh olivia so just you know it's just there's there's reasons why <laughs> uh beyond just erasure right yeah, definitely. And, you know, you know, just looking at a map, you know, of where non-federally recognized tribes are throughout California, like you can see, like a lot of these places are, you know, highly desirable um, areas that, you know, settlers came in and densely populated, like really early on. Um, and, um Re, um, natural resources as well, you know, like you mentioned timber or, um, uh, I think, uh, like also, um, 
just other geological uh, resources that, um, you know, are throughout our state, you know, you look at, you look at a map and then you'll see, you know, the, the parallel um, of that. And oh, I wanted to comment also on the identity part. Um, yeah, I think that's a big one as well, you know, where there, the, uh, members of, you know, unrecognized tribes, you know, we are like often met with um, skepticism or, you know, claims of inauthenticity, um, you know, questioning us on, you know, our cultural or um, political authenticity or just, you know, our tribal or our personal identities. Um, and, you know, I think that that's something, you know, another you know, struggle of just like questioning our own identities and really does show, you know, like the power of, um, you know, federal uh, definitions of what, you know, an Indian, like who an Indian is or like what that even means. Um, and I know that, you know, sometimes, um, you know, members of federally recognized tribes can, you know, think that those of us from non-federally recognized tribes, you know, are maybe like less Indian or just, you know, things like that. So it's like, it creates these divisions, um, within native communities. Um, and, you know, I feel like that only just serves the interests of the government, right. Because it's kind of like a divide and conquer. Like we're trying, you know, when, when we have these, um, you know, hierarchies, uh, these contrived hierarchies that are, you know, created amongst native people, it just, it doesn't serve us, you know, like that's not in our interest at all. Um, and, um, and I think too, that there's a lot of, um, there's just, you know, the issue is, you know, trying to prove, you know, one's native identity or your legit legitimacy. Um, and that, you know, brings up a lot of like really deep seated racist, just like beliefs, you know, about native Americans as well. Um, whether that's based on, you know, like our appearance or how we should act, um, or how we should, you know, express our culture, et cetera. Um, so I think that, you know, a lot of uh, those beliefs just then end up fueling like the public attitudes um, towards unrecognized tribes, whether that's through, you know, just like anti-casino um, like sentiments or just anti-Indian in general. Um, and then that really ends up, you know, having a really negative influence on our um, unrecognized tribes and our communities. Um, especially as we do, you know, try to pursue federal recognition. And um, I think that those like those accusations, right, of cultural or, or racial inauthenticity, like that, um, it, it takes away from the fact that federal recognition is a political status, right? It's not a racial thing. It's, it's, being recognized as a sovereign tribal nation. It's not about, you know, our cultural or our race, although those things have come up and do play a part. Um, but when, you know, there's so much emphasis on that, then I think that it takes away from the fact that it is um, a political status. You know, that's, 
all really perfect. And I, I had a question that you kind of segued right into. Um, think about that. And think about in particular when Vanessa, you're talking about, well, A, congratulations to your tribe for the school and the lands and thank you for the announcements. But as you're talking about the the aspect of the taxation, right, onto these lands. And it just made me think of this issue for those, I'm sure there's some listener out there somewhere who's thinking, well, why aren't, you know, everyone pays taxes on lands, right? And I think at the heart of that is this question we didn't really get into of sovereignty underlying federal recognition. And then Olivia, you just kind of segued right into that. But I wonder, I know you mentioned the treaties, but I think maybe if we could backtrack a little bit and just think about like why why indigenous peoples why, why that is important not to be taxed on ancestral homelands and the issue of sovereignty and all that kind of stuff um i know that's a big big question taking me back <laughs> um yeah so being a sovereign nation you know that's powerful um and i think that we recognize ourselves, you know, as Native nations, and we have been, and we've been in, maybe not in those words, right, but we've definitely seen each other as, you know, other sovereign nations, and we interacted as such. We had political, you know, things that we traded, and maybe it wasn't a document, it was a basket. Maybe it was, you know, like, we actually have several laws on this river because you can't overfish when at the mouth of the river when you got to feed the rest of the people salmon down the river, right? We fought wars over that. <laughs> so like we seen each other, um, tribes, you know, have always been sovereign. Of course, that word is invented, but, you know, uh, we've enacted that. And so when um, colonization was happening and sovereignty was never really on the table until like the 1970s, right? So, like, erase it um for federal recognition wise is what i'm talking about there but sovereignty is um so important to have a government to government relationship that's recognized on both sides and i'm forgetting the word olivia what is it the we're not what are, we're not sovereign we're uh what's it called we're determining self-governing no it's the one where they're like because even the federal governments right now or the federal federally recognized tribes aren't um sovereign they're domestic dependent oh, yeah there we go right we're domestic dependents like you know like so it's still not full sovereignty right um but the federal government i mean that's by design they made it this way so that you know we, they don't have to recognize us they don't have to engage in in honoring those treaties that they they made with us and talking about taxation on land I mean, it's our traditional homelands. We've been there. We've been the ones to tend that land. We're the ones who know that land the best. And unfortunately, right, another way to sever us from those relationships is to not recognize us, to then make us pay taxes. The uh, not the ability that we can't put it into land trust, where you know then um, we wouldn't. And that's that's got a whole other range of problems putting it into trust. So I don't know. I'm kind of rambling. Olivia, <laughs> the sovereignty, please help me. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, so sovereignty, I think, you know, means that tribes are self-governing. Um, so we can, you know, govern ourselves, we can decide, um, you know, who is part of our community, we can, um, you know, basically, whatever we feel like we need to do to, to make sure 
you know, we um, uphold the well-being um, and future of our um, communities. And, um, you know, I think that, um, you know, that's something that comes from our creation, like from our creation stories, from creators, um, you know, creators gave Native peoples like innate sovereignty. Um, again, like Vanessa said, that's not necessarily the word, you know, that was used, but it's like the concept. Um, and, you know, every tribe would have its own word for, you know, what that means. Um, but, you know, our nations pass down our tribal laws, our diplomatic traditions from one generation to the next. Um, and so, you know, this idea of sovereignty via creation um, means that tribes always retain an orig our original self-governing powers, um, but it's the colonial governments that seek to limit our um, tribal nationhood and, you know, steal our resources and our lands and, you know, to try and control um, indigenous peoples and places. Um, so, you know, we retain those in our inherent rights to self-government and we have that responsibility to exercise those powers um, to determine, you know, our, our future um, and uh, maintain our relations with, you know, our human and other than human kin. Um, and, um, you know, I, I totally agree with, with Vanessa that, you know, this idea of, you know, having to pay taxes right on our own land if we were, you know, if we get, you know, our land back or, um, you know, it's, it's really just, you know, like a slap in the face. It's been a tool towards dispossession um, for so long. I mean, you know, we've seen this with the Dawes Act, you know, that was how, you know, millions of acres of um, land across the country was, um, you know, uh, taken because Native people couldn't pay taxes once, you know, the like period ended. Um, on, on the allotment lands. So, and that was a way that, you know, native people had to sell their land because they couldn't pay the taxes. And again, it just facilitated the immense loss of land that native people across the country have dealt with for a really long time. <laughs> California becomes a state in 1850. We get these three um, weirdo white guys to come over and write, you know, sign treaties with us. I feel like I'm not, you know, I can say these things now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they come in, they're like, hey, we want to make treaties. They're making other side deals. They're trying to like, they, I, I know that, um, I think it's Sim Snyder um, has a whole article on this of like how one of them embezzled a bunch of land, right? Uh, but anyways, right, we, we see these three dudes come over. I mean, there's over 200 tribes in California. They signed 18 treaties. So already that's just not great, <laughs> right? It's just so small. And then they send back the treaties back to Washington, D.C., and they put them under a junction of secrecy, right? They don't ratify them. They hide them. They hide them. Who does this? They hide them. And then we find them later on. And all the Indians are like, yeah, we remember. <laughs> we remember signing that because we actually got up to move to the land that we were supposed to get. And then we weren't welcome there either. And so it's this huge, like, saga of just uh, immense violence. And I think a lot of us have examples of, like, Olivia was saying um, that our tribe signed. I have a relative um, or maybe not my direct relative, but a tribal member signed uh, the treaty. And 
yeah, uh, the federal government said that we needed to tie that person to our tribe. So we needed a birth certificate. Well, who had birth certificates in 1850, right? Especially Native people. So we just see this huge brushstrokes of history just, you know, erasing us um, here in California specifically. Vanessa's point um, about treaties, I think is something that really comes up for the California Indian experience where, you know, we had 18 treaties that were negotiated, but they were never ratified. And, you know, those treaties promised land and, you know, tribes that did sign um, and weren't, you know, ever given that land because they weren't ratified. (laughs) Some of those tribes are today a non-federally recognized tribe, you know, including my own. And so, you know, we were on that treaty. We were supposed to get land through that treaty, but it was never ratified. And that was kind of, you know, the first in a series of many instances where the federal government, you know, neglected um, our tribal community, you know, did not set aside land for us or reservation when other tribes were having reservations set aside. Um, And that, um, you know, being left out, being neglected all those years ago, we're still feeling those repercussions to this day, you know, and, and, you know, for, for my tribe specifically, and I think for a lot of tribes in California, you know, not having land set aside um, uh, has created the, the current, you know, legal status that, that we have as non-federally recognized tribes today. You know, the, the federal acknowledgement process was established in 1978. And, you know, since then, tribes have pursued that process but to people who haven't been aware of the struggles that our tribes have been facing, you know, for decades, um, it seems like, oh, like, who are these tribes? Like, they're just popping up out of nowhere. Um, and, you know, with the advent of casinos, of course, like, then that adds, throws in a whole other element where it's like, or, you know, these communities just, you know, want to open a casino. It's just for greed or economic um, imperatives. But that really obscures the fact that these struggles have been going on for so long. It's not that all of a sudden we decided, oh, we want federal recognition in the 1970s. Like this is something that goes back way farther and is deeply embedded in the colonial history of California. Yeah, thank you. That's such great context. Um, you guys agree. You almost don't even need me here, um, <laughs> which is awesome. Yeah, like, we can just like, <laughs> Vanessa and I just like talk about <laughs> this for hours. <laughs> My next question is uh, getting into some of the specifics of the federal recognition process, but um, what are what are some of the specific requirements in order to qualify it to be federally recognized? So there, there are three different ways that tribes can become <laughs> federally recognized. Um, one way is through Congress. So having um, Congress pass um, uh, a law that would um, give a tribe federal um, or would federally recognize a tribe, then there's also through the court system um, and that the courts um, have been a way for tribes that were terminated. Um, that's been one of the really most successful ways that terminated tribes have um, restored their federal recognition. Um, and then the third 
way is through the administrative um, federal acknowledgement process that um, is operated through the Department of the Interior, um, through the, the Office of Federal Acknowledgement, um, which used to be known as the Branch of Acknowledgement um, and Research, but it's now known as the Office of Federal Acknowledgement. Um, and that process um, was established in 1978, um, and it has seven mandatory criteria that uh, tribes have to meet, and all seven of the criteria have to be met um, in order to become federally recognized. Um, and uh, in the you know most so there have been a couple changes um, to the process over the years um, since 1978. So once in 1994, um, it was uh, modified a little bit. And then most recently in 2015, it was modified as well. Um, so they, the, the 2015 changes, um, you know, like inst instituted a, a phased review to try to allow for um, quicker decisions because that's been one of the longstanding critiques of the process itself is that, you know, it takes so long. Um, and then also try it, the changes in 2015 tried to um, enhance the trans enhance transparency in the process. Again, another longstanding critique um, by making the, um, all the materials like petitioning materials available um, online and just kind of, you know, minorly modified, you know, some of the language. Um, but, you know, overall, it's like the the sentiment of of the process itself is the same. <laughs> There's, you know, been minor changes, but um, it's still uh the the its task is to have outsiders um, evaluate and find answers, you know, to these really vexed <laughs> indicators of tribal legitimacy. Um, and so those those seven criteria, um, I can just like briefly mention what what they are. But um, like the first one is being identified as an American Indian identity or an American Indian entity um, on a substantially continuous basis since 1900. Um, that the petitioner comprises a distinct community and can demonstrate it existed as a community from 1900 to the present. Um, maintain political influence or authority over its uh, members as an auto autonomous entity from 1900 to the present. Um, the the petitioning tribe or the petitioning tribes, um, any sort of like governing documents that they have need to be provided and, you know, a statement about, you know, all the membership um, and any governing procedures. Um, the petitioner's uh, membership has to consist of individuals who descend from a historical Indian tribe or historical Indian tribes that combined. Um, the sixth one is that the membership is comprised mainly of person of people who are not um, from other federally recognized tribes, and then the final one is that the petitioning tribe is 
you know, wasn't terminated or hasn't been the subject of any kind of um, congressional legislation that would expressly forbid um, the federal, you know, a government to government relationship happening with um, the United States. And so again, all all seven of those um, have to be met um, in order to um, become federally recognized. So that was the most beautiful recap of federal recognition in a short time. Like, <laughs> bravo. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> you nailed it. Um, well, I am like looking at like looking at it right now. So I'm just like kind of succinctly because <laughs> there's no way I could remember each one off the top of my head. <laughs> Even after five like, CFR part eighty three, yeah. <laughs> even after like seeing it so much, God. <laughs> um, yeah. So the FAP, this process is, you know, a lot of the things sound not too, you know, bad to to, to come up with, right? Like I can show you that we have lineage in our tribe, right? So just showing you that we have membership. Well, it's like things change. So. Um, we used to have these all written down and they wanted it in Excel. That's not a hard ask, but it is for my community. It is for my community. Who's volunteering their time? Who has access to Microsoft Suite? And then to be able to, you know, type all these things in at a, you know, fast rate, you know, like, no, it's like, these are all volunteer hours. This is all, um, and they're for a long time. The federal acknowledgement process, because they love to waste our time, would not allow electronic uh, submissions. We would have to print these out and send them to Washington, D.C. And so I remember seeing my aunt's trunk when she was sending in stuff uh, to add to our petition. And I'm like, you have to, we have to pay for that, you know, the the postage, the um, a huge amounts of weight of paper, right, that we had to buy and print. And um, I think we actually had to get a grant to print out half, like, the our petition. Um, so we want to send them everything we have. So just like the smallest ask in this uh, is huge, is huge. So another part, um, like we talked about before, right, about showing membership. But if we are continuously losing tribal members because we're not enrolling our kids, if they have the options to be in other tribes, we do that. And so like that also hurts us. Um, it really pisses me off that when we went up for federal recognition and we um, they do a, a review of your petition and they wrote us back a 13 page deficiency letter. 13 pages of what we're missing. And a lot of it is just so unattainable. So they're asking for birth certificates. Again, we don't have those. They are asking, we said, we showed them all of this documentation that our tribal members got allotments. They got allotments. They have proof that the federal government thought of them as an Indian person uh, to get an allotment and then say, to turn around and say, well, actually, it doesn't show actually how you're in community with each other. So if you could provide a list for example, like a birthday party, when you sign in for a birthday party or like, you know, a funeral, I'm like, oh, right, because we're all signing in at funerals here in, you know, 1900. What the hell? And so it's just this constant BS that they send back. And so we have never pulled the trigger to like fully push our petition through to have it reviewed because we know we're not going to hit the mark. Um, I think we can. It's just the way that they look at it. Uh, another huge um piece that I, I think it's Kelly and Sis that always say, it's funny because they always considered us Indian when it was boarding school time. They always considered us Indian when they wanted to take our land. They always considered us Indian all these times in history. But when it comes to federal recognition, all of a sudden we're not Indian. We're not a tribe. 
And it's like, oh, but we have all this documentation. And so another part of it is that we have to go to the archives, right? So like, luckily, you know, Olivia and I, you know, we did this as dissertation research. We did this for a service to our communities. I didn't want to research this. I wanted to research something way cooler, <laughs> like my tribe's history or something like not to prove we should be federally recognized. Um, which, by the way, that's the end of my dissertation. It's this process doesn't work. I spilled the beans. So <laughs> I know riveting research. But anyways, <laughs> it's like, you know, we do all this work and, you know, we prove over and over because, you know, I've had to sit in archives uh, and and the violence of the archive, right? Entering this huge uh, building that's protected by guards <laughs> that we have to use identification to get into. We have to have an orientation. Like, how many times I've been to the archive and the, the damn Native American expert is never there. <laughs> so if anyone's listening, make sure that guy's there or that person's there so you can actually get help. <laughs> uh, you know, and then pulling out these files and then like pulling out one by one. And you're and it's funny because like you're in this room and there's this, you know, security guard that's above you looking down at you. It's like you're in prison. And it's like, I feel like my, my relatives are captive in these boxes and I'm God, I want to like write on them so bad and <laughs> just, I don't know, uh, <laughs> break them out. But of course, you know, uh, I don't want to incriminate myself here. So um, <laughs> looking at all these like documentation in the archive, you know, and it's fucked up. It's fucked up. I'm going to say it. it's fucked up because what they say is like, you know, uh, it doesn't say, hey, Norrell Muck went to uh, individual, right? No, it says digger. It says, you know, derogatory terms about my people. It says um that this person i actually found a piece of paper in the archive that says like um the schools by the area maybe it's the school that my tribe got and <laughs> donated to <laughs> but uh it's not but the, the schools up there were saying hey washington we have a bunch of indians in the school you need to pay for them and the washington dc wrote back and said uh no they're not indian and then the school uh teacher wrote back saying like everyone considers them indian so it's this really weird exchange of like documentation, but in the end proves that we're Indian. Like, I don't know what else we need, right? Just we have proven it over and over and over. We have the scars to prove it. And they're still saying, well, you didn't do this right or you didn't do that right. And so my aunt who was tribal chair of my of Nora Muck tribe uh, for 12 years, um, she talks about these seven uh, pieces of criteria that how hard and unattainable they are. And in 2015, I feel so cool to say that me and uh, me and Olivia were there. We were there to put in our two cents um, about the hopeful at, at that moment. We were really hopeful that there that it was going to change, that something was going to make it easier. And it felt really good to be at this meeting. Um, they did meetings all over the United States to kind of see what they can fix for, uh, they did hearings. Um, so uh, Olivia and I were there and I remember seeing her there and I remember us both being emotional, right? Like we're like, we got to figure out what to say to the, the federal government. They're like, hey, you need to change this. And then we find out that, you know, they have two separate meetings. They have the meetings for the federally recognized tribes and then they have the meetings for everyone else. And it makes me really upset seeing how much we can be pitted against each other because some casino tribes see, uh, you know, recognizing more native tribes is a competition. 
um, and in gaming for sure, but you know, whatever else, right? Just, and it was really sad to see. And I know a couple of non-federally recognized tribes tried to go into the federally recognized hearing and they wouldn't let them in. Um, and so it was really disappointing to see what they ended up changing because um, we thought it was going to be a lot. I don't know. I had a lot of hope uh, in, in 2015. I'm jaded now, so no hope. <laughs> no. <laughs> but, you know, uh, I hope that this changes. Um, and I think that a lot of people throw their hands up to it. So since 1978, when this was brought in as the Bureau of, what was that, Acknowledgement Research uh, to the FAP, um, the Federal Acknowledgement Process, um, one tribe from California, one tribe has been able to get past this process. One. We have at one point 80 people or 80 people, sorry, 80 tribes from California apply or petition to apply. Some of those I know aren't, you know, California Indian. There's some like Cherokees that try to apply as well. But anyways, there's at one point in California, 80 uh, petitions to be, for tribes to become fully recognized. And um, it's crazy that one, just one. And I heard, and I do not know if this is like super factual, so forgive me if I'm wrong, but I heard that their petition was not super lengthy, but they had time on their hands because they did it before gaming was allowed. So it's a Timbusha Shoshone. So they got federal recognition before um, gaming. So when gaming came along, that's when they really buckled down on all this because they don't want us to be recognized. Um, and so it's been a long time since 1978 to only have one tribe from California. Um, I know they denied the Talawa um, and others. I uh, remember hearing, I think, again, it was Colleen Sis saying, you know, if the Talawa can't get recognized, none of us can. You know, it's just we have so, I mean, people on the coast, right? I mean, the Lonely Peoples. How many, how much documentation do they have that people have seen them on ships, right? Like people, like literally the first people, like colonization coming over, seen them, wrote about them. And that's probably like the first people in California written about and they're not even recognized. Like, just like, there's no, there, there's no uh, document that's going to be appeased by the federal acknowledgement process. Um, and if they see them in the streets, they're going to get these hands because I'm tired of them and they're BS. Yes, I love that energy. <laughs> um, but no, I agree. Like, it just, it doesn't work. And I think we've known this for, you know, quite some time, like back in the nineties, there was the advisory council on California Indian policy and, you know, what they, you know, found, um, you know, there, there was huge report that was created, um, by that council for Congress. Um, and, you know, one aspect of it was on these issues of, uh, federal recognition, um, and, and termination for tribes in California. And, what you know the the members of the advisory council really made it clear that the federal acknowledgement process just it just doesn't work for california tribes um and you know like vanessa said only one tribe in california has made it through the process um and again that was in the early 1980s it was a very different <laughs> world back then and you know, i think I think their petition was, you know, something like 20 pages, you know, maybe like, which now it's like, that would be unheard of. Um, we're talking like thousands of pages of um, <clears throat> documents. Um, 
because not only do we have to, you know, pre- provide the you know narrative aspect of it, you know, explaining um, how we meet all of these criteria, but we have to provide all the evidence. Like you can't just, you know, footnote something. Like you have to give them the document or the whole book or whatever it is, you know, that the newspaper article like that mentions it. Like they're not out. I mean, they do the the staff do do some research, but they're relying basically on everything that the tribe submits, you know, and then they'll kind of like maybe go from there with, you know, additional research or or other things. But, um, you know, the, that's, you know, one of the main issues with this whole process is that the burden of proof is placed on the tribes who are pursuing this process. And, you know, we have to, you know, find um, all of these documents or, you know, create, databases and, you know, like things that, again, like Vanessa mentioned, like people in our tribes aren't necessarily versed, like in doing these things. I mean, then if we want to have, you know, uh, experts or professionals do it on our behalf, well, that comes with a price tag, of course. And there's really not a lot of uh, funding opportunities for tribes that are pursuing federal recognition. And so again, and then it gets put on our shoulders, it becomes, you know, something that we have to volunteer um, our time to do. And, you know, that has been largely how it's happened in my tribe. Um, in back in the eighties, the my tribe did have a grant from um, the uh, an ANA grant. I think it's like the administration of Na- for native Americans. Um, And that was used to hire a couple of uh, anthropologists to, you know, help with like doing this research. Um, But, you know, once the grant ran out, it's like, well, (laughs) good luck, you know, and like never heard, never heard from the lawyer that was helping us again, never heard from the anthropologists that were helping us us and then you know then the expectation is that you know these people uh on our you know in our tribal leadership are then supposed to take it on or you know delegate it to someone but again it's like who's gonna do it who can have the time to to do this um you know when we we all have to you know survive like however we can and it's just um it is just such an immense task um a huge undertaking just so much to manage and organize like related to it it is um extremely overwhelming and confusing and it's just um it's just so difficult um and I'm trying to remember there's something else you said Vanessa that I wanted to <laughs> to comment on uh, oh, oh, the criteria. So yeah, so, you know, like, like Vanessa mentioned, like on the surface, you know, it seems like, oh, these criteria, okay, like, just prove that you've, you know, existed since 1900. And it's like, okay, well, <laughs> when, uh, for you know, I mean, for all tribes, but especially for here, you know, tribes in California, it's like, that is asking a lot, especially when we had you know, such severe, um, colonization that happened, you know, like the genocide that happened here. Um, people like for, for, you know, the majority of time there, the government 
um, and, you know, and even like the state of California have not been interested in, you know, supporting tribes or um, uh, acknowledging, you know, tribal existence. Really, it's been about trying to get rid of us. <laughs> they're still killing us, right? They're still killing us in the 1900s. Yeah. I'm not sitting down, like, let's write this down. <laughs> Take note. <laughs> And then send this in. I'm like, no, we were still running for our lives. Yeah. So there's just, you know, our communities have been through so much. Um, and, you know, the way that that colonization happened here, you know, it was aimed at ripping our tribes apart, um, preventing um, our communities from existing or even being able to, you know, function, um, when you're just trying to survive and fight for your life, like, you know, yeah, you're probably going to miss, uh, uh, miss a meeting or, you know, not have like our councils meet or something, you know, when, when there's like these huge, um, outside factors, you know, attacking, attacking us. Um, and I think that, you know, one of the, one of the criterion that tribes in California really struggle with um, because of the, the realities of, you know, surviving after colonization and genocide um, is the, the one on um, proving that you're a historic tribe. Mm. Um, so I know that that's, that's one that the uh, Fernandinho Tatavium um, really struggled with recently, um, and that's why their petition, uh, they never, they were never actually officially denied, but, you know, they kind of ended up opting out of the process before getting that final, final determination, but their proposed, you know, finding was negative, and it was largely tied to not being able to satisfy um, that criterion, the way that, you know, the government wanted them to satisfy it. Um, um, and so I think that, you know, that, and then the, the criteria on, you know, showing that, um, political and community continuity, it's just really difficult to prove that because, you know, this process is mainly relying on outside information, outside evaluators um, who are looking, you know, looking in on our communities or documenting us for one reason or another, like throughout history. Um, and if those gaps are there, it's like, well, <laughs> they're there. And it's like, it's really hard to address those, those gaps. Um but there are real legitimate reasons as to why, you know, maybe an anthropologist didn't document something about a community at a certain time, or, um, you know, the newspaper didn't like talk about a tribe during certain years, you know, so it's, it's really just having to, to contend, um, you know, with those legacies of um, violence and erasure, um, and then, you know, that, that then puts us in the position of trying to, to prove that um, when that is just in a lot, a lot of times a really insurmountable task. <laughs> so like the documentation that they only accept, right? Like Olivia said, I was outsiders. We can tell you why a mountain is there. 
We can tell you <laughs> who created the river <laughs> in our areas, right? We can tell you about all these oral traditions that tie us specifically to a piece of land. <laughs> and that's who we are. And they won't take that, right? Like, and we're going to talk about how we're a historical tribe, like go to the, you know, oral histories, but they don't accept that. Um, and it's, you know, I mean, unfortunately, I hate using this example, but like my tribe, when they said to show that uh, our tribal council had been meeting, that we've been a continuous tribe, tribal entity, or like a, you know, governing body throughout time. We said, oh, in the Trinity Journal, which is a racist journal, um, says, oh, hey, we're rounding up some Indians that day. I'm like, oh, yeah, that, that was when we were doing a tribal meeting. So we're trying to use those as like proof, even though, you know, that's a stretch, but it's ugly. It's ugly history. Um, and then, of course, you know, they're documenting our deaths, but they're not documenting like what we're doing. Right. So they're really interested in like writing about who got rounded up or how many people got rounded up, how many, you know, derogatory comments, you know, they killed um, like the S word. Uh, and then and then you have the right. If we're written about, it's that immense violence. And then on the other hand, you have uh, Krober and his homies um, writing about, you know, that we're not exactly how we were supposed to be back in time, right? Like, oh, they're changed. They don't, he didn't consider us Indians if you're wearing pants. It's like, come on, man. Um, so, you know, then we have that history, which is, I don't know, we've talked about this before. It's a double-edged sword, right? So we have some of that stuff that's preserved. And I'm glad someone went and wrote it down. But the other end, it's, you know, filled with super biases and everything else. Um, so we have this flawed, flawed, flawed documents that can be submitted. And a lot of them don't support us. So like no one's writing down good things about us back in the day in 1850s, right? They're trying to get us treaties and removed. Uh, and then I wanted to bring up a point that going back to the uh, databases that we need to have, because now fire is such an issue because our peoples have not been able to do good fire and culturally burn and, and keep up the forest. Then now we're, you know, in danger of being like completely annihilated if a fire, you know, forest fire happens. And I wanted to bring that up because the school that we just got is up, you know, right next to a huge fire that happened a couple of years ago, the Helena fire. And, you know, like just thinking about, oh, my God, if our documents got burnt because we don't have money to go buy fire safe, you know, filing cabinets and just thinking about how much damage that could have done like that is huge and so scary um because i don't think we have a database i mean i think we had a dropbox at one point but i don't know if we paid a subscription lost it i don't know who knows <laughs> right it's depending on what year what travel chair was you know like working on this and and it's just hard like and you know we don't want to pass this on like olivia said earlier i, I love that line i don't want to pass this this torch to my daughter and to your son i'm sure yeah no Definitely. I, because now with the federal acknowledgement process, they, now they want everything digital. So <laughs> now the problem isn't like, okay, great. Now we have to, you know, provide thousands of pages, hard copies. Now we have to go through the process of scanning everything, digitizing everything, um, trying to organize that, um, you know, and again, like, we're trying to do this on our own. Like if we can't afford to have, you know, um, someone else do it for us and it takes a lot of time. Like, I feel like that's something like I'm constantly trying to, you know, do is like whenever I can, like, okay, gotta like digitize like these certain documents or, you know, trying to 
have, um, you know, for my tribe, you know, to get our, um, you know, enrollment in like some kind of digital form that would be transferable to, you know, the government. It's just like, it's a huge undertaking. Um, and there's just like so many little logistical things like that, that you don't really think about until you're actually like in it and, and in, you know, the, the process of, um, figuring out how to meet these seven criteria and just so many different things pop up. Um, but yeah, but I, I, so you were mentioning, um, Vanessa about, you know, like, uh, anthropologists <laughs> can't, can't miss an opportunity to get, share my two cents on anthropology. Um, but yeah, I think that that's a big, you know, piece of the puzzle too, with, um, especially, you know, why it's so hard for tribes in California to become federally recognized. And, you know, it's that interplay between anthropologists and government officials, um, especially in the early 20th century, um, when tribal lands were being established. And I think that, you know, that's a huge issue that um, the Ohlone, you know, especially come up against, um, you know, where like Krober is saying that, you know, the Ohlone are culturally extinct. Um, and these anthropologists are in conversation with federal officials, like their, the research and the information that anthropologists um, were collecting um, and writing about at that time, it was informing the decisions that the government was making. And so they were really working hand in hand to um, dispossess um, tribes in California um, by not giving um, land at that time. And, you know, I think with, you know, with the Ohlone, they, it was found that they were previously recognized tribe, you know, they had their um, rancheria, but it was, I think in, you know, like the 1920s. So it was like at that point on the, the, the government is saying that, well, you kind of just faded out of existence. <laughs> That's their argument, um, which is, you know, that argument's been used uh, towards other tribes um, as well. Um, so there's precedent for that in court cases um, in other parts of the country. But, you know, that that argument just, it kind of makes it seem like like it's a natural process that our tribes are destined to just disappear, to just vanish. And I think that just, you know, again, like reiterates those um, really uh, negative stereotypes and just ideas that are constantly um, impacting uh, our communities. And the way that anthropologists uh, described tribes here in California, you know, the way that they described our social and political structures as being, you know, tribelets, it was making it seem like we didn't have sovereignty or, you know, we're kind of like mini, <laughs> like miniature tribes um, that just weren't comparable, you know, to other, um, you know, really large tribes like on the plains or on the east, in the eastern part of the United States. Um, so when, 
anthropologists were just describing our tribes in like these really diminutive ways, it was leading to lots of misconceptions about, you know, what California tribes are and just really making it seem like our tribes are inferior to tribes um, in other parts of the country. Exactly. Yeah, thank you both. I, I was one of the things I think is so interesting about having you both speak to this is that your own communities and your own tribes are in different, totally different parts geographically of California, which really highlights the just how many different historical realities different tribes, so many different tribes in California have had to face that are all obstacles to this. And I think the point you make too about the, you know, comparing tribes in California to other places, I think that's to me kind of at the heart of the problem with the whole process of federal recognition, right? Where it's trying to compare like a one size fits all type of thing into a diversity of different nations and peoples and, you know, across a continent, which is just a, a huge problem. I think uh, Michelle Rehesha talks about how someone petitioned as a joke, or maybe seriously, uh, to be fairly recognized as uh, the Hollywood Indian, because that's what they wanted. They want that, you know, Hollywood Indian uh, stereotype. And so a bunch, I guess, people, I don't know if they actually petitioned, but I can't remember what it says in the book, but she writes about how, like, yeah, they were going to file for federal recognition, because, like, that's what they want, right? Like, like, that's the prototype, so. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really trying to put um, you know, a cookie cutter, you know, model onto all of this diversity across the country, um, all different, um, just historical realities of how, you know, things have happened, um, to our communities over time and to try and, you know, have a, a one size fits all, um, method is just, it's really never going to end up working um and again you know like like we kind of said already that you know it's really already been people have been talking about this for for a long time and it really just it doesn't work (laughs) by and large um and i think that, that that's part of the reason why a lot of um unrecognized tribes have just you know persisted, just kind of continued on doing our own thing, um, you know, trying to assert our um, inherent tribal sovereignty in ways that we can, um, trying to be in relation with other um, tribal communities, other other governments, you know, whether that's our local city or county governments, um, and other institutions as well. Um, And I think, you know, Vanessa kind of uh, briefly mentioned it earlier, but, you know, in California, I feel like tribes here, non-federally recognized tribes here do have some measure of power um, compared to non-federally recognized tribes in in other parts of the country where uh, the state of California has, you know, around... 30 different state statutes that are applicable to non-federally recognized tribes. Um, We do have some power in, um, you know, tribal consultation processes um, and, uh, you know, the the ability to, you know, apply for certain state um, resources. And, And I think that 
a lot of that has really been happening more recently, especially after um, a couple of executive orders that have come down from California governors with um, executive order B-1011 um, back in 2011 from uh, former Governor uh, Jerry Brown and then with uh, Governor Newsom's um executive order N-1519, um, the quote-unquote apology um, for genocide, that um, a lot of state legislators have, um, I guess I should clarify that in the the 2011 executive order, that was about uh, reaffirming, um, wait, let me, (laughs) I don't want to misspeak on this. Let me find it really quick because I want to make sure I word it correctly. <laughs> so I wrote about this. Um, oh, okay. So yeah, Executive Order B-1011 um, was uh, co- uh, stating California's commitment to strengthening and sustaining um, effective government-to-government relationships with California tribes. And so that meant all California tribes not just federally recognized tribes. And so I think that that executive order really created a shift in the California state government where, you know, basically every entity within the California state government is supposed to be taking this to heart, right? And trying to have these uh, and maintain government to government relationships with all California tribes. So, you know, And I think that then followed up by uh, Governor Newsom's executive order, um, which reaffirmed executive order B-1011. Again, state legislators, I think, have somewhat taken it to heart and are trying to include non-federally recognized tribes in all these new bills um, that are coming out. Cal NAGPRA was changed because of that, you know, because Cal NAGPRA was originally, um, you know, and Vanessa knows, you know, really well, you've written, you know, an article on, on part of this, but, you know, since that article came out, the, the language in Cal NAGPRA changed to, um, mirror the language that is in, uh, that was originally in, um, SB 18 and which is in AB 52, that defines a California Native American tribe as one that's on the Native American Heritage Commission's contact list, which their contact list has both federally recognized and non-federally recognized tribes on it. So this definition of what a California Native American tribe, which it sounds weird to say, (laughs) California Native American, (laughs) but that's how they always write it um, in like the state um, laws. But, you know, because we we usually just say California Indian, but um, how it's written in a lot of these laws is, you know, a California Native American tribe that's on the contact list maintained by the Native American Heritage Commission. And that can be... um, a non-federally recognized tribe or federally recognized tribe. So, you know, in recent years, a lot of um, the laws that are being passed related to tribes in California, it uses that language of California Native American tribe. And so again, that makes it applicable to um, non-federally recognized tribes. And I, and I think it, 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 um, it does, 
uh, empower our tribes to assert our tribal sovereignty, because, you know, we can, as a government, have this relationship with the state of California. Um, however, Vex, you know, <laughs> again, that is considering California was, uh, you know, the architect of our genocide. Um, but I think that, you know, in the, the current era, um, there, there is, you know, there, there have been steps made, you know, like in, in the right direction to try and um, address, um, you know, what the state did in the past and um, try and repair in some ways the, the relationship with, with tribes. Um, you know, there's, there's obviously still a lot of work to do and um, <laughs> in that realm, but I think that, you know, the fact that that unrecognized tribes here in California are able to exercise um, our sovereignty um, in in these ways is is something that is really um, important, and I think I don't think it's happening in the same way um, in other places um, in the country. I just wanted to say a couple things real fast before we move on. Uh, is that you mentioned California Indians um, and how it's kind of set out in, you know, uh, other ways of like California American. And just, I wanted to point out, maybe it's a good uh, point to make for federal recognition is that a lot of us in California, even though we're not federally recognized, my, my grandfather is recognized as a California Indian. And that's through the judgment rules, uh, which is problematic in itself. But, you know, the census that we're supposed to capture like in the 19... 30s and the 1970s um you know who who's the california indians here in california and so a lot of us use cal and we, i mean a lot of times in legislation they would put us all as one body right like in any bills or whatever it'd be like california indians so we're always kind of meshed up in that way it's not like you know specific tribes it's, uh putting putting us all together um in ways that like i think is different than other states um and i think we have a, a identity there of a California Indian um, that's important and distinct than um, on top of our tribal um, identities. So I just wanted to point that out because um, I want to make sure that was clear. And then two, um, as you can tell, this is a huge across our, our country, uh, the state, specifically California and in Alaska, there's so many of us that are not really recognized that we love to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> I swear every time I get a phone call because there's something I run for a, a specifically for non really recognized tribes um, and people just want to talk. They talk to me for like 30, 40 minutes and tell me their story. This topic is so damn important and so not talked about or uh, written about. And that's why uh, me and um, Olivia connect so well together because we're like, oh man, we just have so little research to go off of for our dissertations. And the one book, right? We have one book that we talk about all the time, which is the Quest for Tribal Acknowledgement. And it's California's Honey Lake Maidu um, story of their journey of trying to um, obtain federal recognition. And that's the only one. And now Olivia's. So I want to plug that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know what you end up naming it, but uh, and maybe you don't want to say it here, but like, this is why this research is so damn important that this information needs to be out there because so many of us go through this independently, 
and we don't know. Uh, so when we find another non, you know, recognized tribal uh, person, we're like, oh my gosh, what have you done? What has your tribe done? Like, let's share resources. And then we like bond over it. Um, I don't know if that's a good thing or not. <laughs> we definitely do. And I, and I think that's really important because me and Olivia were just these busy, cute native girls that were in grad school. <laughs> <laughs> that you know uh are doing the exact same research but in two different parts of the state and just it's it's so important so i just wanted to make sure i said that <laughs> thank you for for saying that because it's so true like we do we don't have a lot to go off of um you know, like you said, there's one book that's been published just about California. You know, there's been articles and, mm-hmm. you know, here and there. Um, but yeah, we have that one book and, um, and it was, you know, wasn't written by a native person. It was written by, you know, a anthropologist, um, who was, you know, doing great community work, um, with the Honey Lake Maidu. But again, this, this, um, you know, the story of federal recognition in California, like it hasn't been told from our own California Indian perspective from the people who are in these non-federally recognized communities, really, you know, until it's like me and you, Vanessa, you know, when we, you know, doing our research, writing our dissertations, um, and yeah, I'm, I'm, I feel it's weird to say, you know, that my, my book will be the second book, you know, on this topic. And, you know, the first one actually written by, you know, a California Indian person from one of these communities. Um, and, you know, of course I don't speak for, for all, you know, California Indians or all unrecognized California tribes or anything, but, you know, I think just to, to be able to bring, you know, attention to, to this topic, um, that, you know, it's, it's so misunderstood. It's so, um, there's just a lot of misconceptions about it. And, you know, we, we hear, we hear about the issue a lot, like here and there, you know, like sprinkled throughout, especially because there's so many non-federally recognized tribes here in California, but to have, you know, these in-depth actual conversations about it, it just doesn't happen, you know, as, as often um, as it should. So I'm, I'm hoping we're, we're, we're changing that. We're, we're part of moving <laughs> these conversations forward. Um, and I did also want to briefly mention a uh, comment on what you were saying about um, the judgment roles, um, because I think that is an area, <laughs> that is an area where a lot of disconnect happens for California tribes um, who are going through, you know, who are pursuing federal recognition because, you know, they say, well, I thought I was, you know, recognized by the government. Like I, I'm on the, you know, I'm part of the census rolls. You know, I, my family did this back in the twenties, the thirties, you know, like, like we're documented as being California Indians. Like, I, I don't get why we're not federally recognized. So there's just like this disconnect that happens and, it, and it's, you know, the, the heart of that issue is that the, the judgment role, you know, these California Indian census roles were about documenting individuals, not documenting a tribe, even though it's, it's kind of a, an, a conundrum because like 
can you really be an Indian without being part of a tribe or like having a community? Like, I feel like that's a complex, you know, identity topic, but I feel like, you know, that, that is, uh, to me, that is, you know, what a native identity, you know, is really grounded in is in our communities. So it's kind of like, well, you can't really have one without the other. Um, I mean, you know, there are obviously instances where that does happen, but I think that's just where a lot of the confusion arises from those censuses, because, you know, that's about documenting an individual, not a tribe. And so that's why, you know, the Office of Federal Acknowledgement um, often doesn't really consider those roles to be, you know, evidence of um, your, you know, tribal political entity or um, something like that. So, you know, they they don't hold a lot of weight um, in the federal acknowledgement process. I mean, you know, can of course still use them, um, but there has to be a lot of uh, other corroborating evidence um, for, 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 the, for them to be considered um, for federal acknowledgement purposes. I don't know. I just, I'm so over it. <laughs> I'm so over, uh, you know, positioning us against each other. And uh, the federal government didn't want us to be here. So that's why we have federal recognition. Like, you know, it's the who's, um, they wanted to erase us. They wanted to erase Native uh, populations. And so one way to do that is on paper, right, is to say that your tribe is not fairly recognized. We don't see you as a, a sovereign nation. We don't want to engage in, you know, political acts and treaty signing and everything else, even though we did actually have that, but they don't want to recognize that. Well, thank you. You've both been so awesome on this, such an important conversation and, and so great to hear your perspectives. I have one last question uh, to kind of, maybe we could wrap up with, because um, you covered so much in this already, but I'm curious your thoughts on, you know, it's kind of a two-pronged question, but what is the future of federal recognition look like to you and in part like how would you like to see this work uh the process work going forward how do we fix federal recognition olivia <laughs> <laughs> um what what i've suggested before um the, and again i know that this comes with its own set of problems so i don't want to hear people over here yelling at me later on about like that's not going to work because okay this isn't working either but <laughs> my hope uh, or like my dream, and I don't know, again, again, this needs to be fleshed out more, but is is that we we determine our own federal recognition like between each other because we have language that shares different territories. We have a word that's like a bush that's uh, up against the Chimerico um, border and they have words for our bushes that are on that border. And so it's like we have this historical evidence that we've been a tribe since you know, the beginning of time, and we prove that by other tribes. That's my, that's what I would love. I mean, honestly, the federal recognition process can go to hell. I'll, I'll help burn it down, tear that thing up. It's trash. In the words of my stepson who always said that, that's trash. <laughs> uh, and I just think that it's not working. So just do away with it. Stop it already. Stop the bullshit. I'm tired of it. <laughs> um, and I hope that our bill goes through, you know, going through Congress. Uh, that's a big if too, right? Like, so, I mean, fingers crossed, but I think all of it needs to come from us. 
because we know who is a tribe that's been there through our language, through our oral traditions, through our trade, through our ceremonies. And that's what I think. And that's putting a lot of faith in people, you know, saying that, right? Stepping up to that. But I have more faith in us than I do in them. I mean, I, I definitely agree that, you know, and it's, I think it's well established that the federal acknowledgement process just doesn't work. <laughs> um, what to do instead, I think is a, a much more difficult question. Um, it would, you know, require uh, a lot of thought because, you know, in, in a perfect world, yeah, I, I totally agree that it should be um, other tribes, um, you know, making these decisions. Um, but sadly, we, you know, have seen <laughs> really, you know, contentious debates among tribes. Um, there's just, whether it's, you know, longstanding, like, historic based, um, arguments or, um, uh, contention between communities or more recent ones around, you know, resources or, unfortunately, you know, like casinos, like, et cetera, like those, um, issues, I think really impact, you know, the relationships that, that tribes have, have with each other and really, you know, sad um and negative ways sometimes you know before the creation of you know reservations um here in southern california all of our tribes were in a really similar situation trying to protect our villages from settlers um from from people encroaching you know on our territories and there were a lot of times that our communities came together and um supported each other fought for each other and fought for our land rights and you know i've seen that documented um in archival records um and i just really try to emphasize the fact that we, our histories are a lot similar, you know, than we're led to believe or than that we even like realize today. Um, and so I think that, you know, because if we, we look to the way that we supported each other um, in the past, that, you know, tribes, federally recognized tribes today should, you know, look back to, to that and, you know, support, um, our sister tribes, um, in our, our quests for, for federal recognition today, because, you know, our, our histories really are, you know, similar. And, um, again, we don't want to, um, just, just these divisions among each other again, like, as, as we said earlier, like it just, it's, it just serves to, it just serves the, the government's interests, you know, not ours. Um, I think that there are a lot of, there's a lot of potential and opportunities for California tribes, um, right now. And I think that, um, you know, it, it could, again, be a, a controversial statement or an unpopular opinion, but I think that exploring the idea of state recognition is something that could be um, 
of interest to tribes here in California. Like that's, it's kind of sort of already happening with, you know, what I was talking about with, um, you know, all of these, uh, laws and et cetera, um, and different agreements being made between California travel or the California government and, um, unrecognized tribes. So, you know, I think there's just like a lot of different paths to explore whether, you know, state recognition be one, um, or, um, the, the truth and healing council. I, I feel like that's something that, that they're, somewhat charged with is um just getting california indian ideas on how to um move forward um and i think that you know that's a venue where a lot of these conversations are happening right now so i i think it's just i feel like we just really need to come together unrecognized tribes throughout california need to come together and and just kind of like talk about these issues sort of like, what do we want to see? Like, how do we want to move forward? Um, because I don't think there's really been, um, a venue in which that's happened, you know, maybe not since like the nineties with the advisory council on California Indian policy. So, you know, I feel like, you know, Vanessa and I, we, (laughs) we gotta like plan, (laughs) a statewide mm. <laughs> like oh we state- need to do CISA the California Indian oh yeah. yeah girl do we just make more work for each other for <laughs> I mean I'm in for it but yeah awesome making more work for ourselves but but you know I just feel like that that needs to happen like like I want to hear what the other tribes think you know and I want to hear what other you know people from unrecognized tribes think about how we should move forward what options are out there um yeah like just how how we can help each other and try to make our our situations better um you know, in, in any way that we can. And again, just going back to that idea of recognizing each other, supporting each other, um, and having it be, you know, very based in, in community and, um, sharing our experiences and, um, just trying to, to just help each other how, however we can. I love that. I really do. I want to see that. I want to be a part of that. Well, well, thank you both. I mean, unless you have any, any kind of closing thoughts, um, this has really been awesome. And I I really am grateful for you both taking the time to, to share your, your thoughts and insights on all this. And thank you for the work that you're doing on this. And Um, I want to, I want to do a closing um, remark and I just want to say, you know, I'm just so thankful. I'm so thankful. I'm sure Olivia is so thankful. Like we're all so thankful for the people in the non-fairly recognized tribes who continually showed up, who continually invested in our communities, who have taken time off work, who have driven up and down the state, given up so much of their family time or other commitments to make sure and ensure um, the future of our tribes. And there's no way I can say thank you enough to those people because I've seen what that looks like. And I hope that we will continue to do that. And I know we will because that's who we are. 
But I just want to say a huge thank you because so many of y'all, you know, kept our tribes going when in the face of absolute different times, crazy times, right? Genocide, relocation, removal, you know, everything. And people still continued our ways and continued tribal, you know, entities. So just thank you. I want to say that. I want to make sure I just say thank you. Yeah, I agree. Immense gratitude for for what our ancestors and our, you know, current tribal community members have gone through. You know, this it's it's a legacy. Like this is inherited, you know, this quest, this this search for um, you know, federal recognition. Like it's not it's something that has been happening long before this concept of federal recognition existed. You know, it goes back to our communities demanding um, our lands, demanding that we are seen and heard as as tribal governments. And that's been going on for a really long time. And it's taken shape in a lot of different forms, you know, over the years. And, you know, I, I always, you know, say that this you know, pursuing federal recognition is just the most current iteration of this really long-standing effort that our ancestors, that our tribes um, have been going through for a really, really long time. And we, I'll say it again, don't want to pass it on. <laughs> don't want to pass it on to the next generation. Like, this is... Uh, we want it we want it to end <laughs> we want it to end but just extreme gratitude for for what everyone has been through and what people continue to to go through with this and just keeping keeping our families and keeping our communities together um against all odds you've been listening to challenging colonialism in this episode you heard a conversation between dr olivia chilcote and Dr. Vanessa Escovito, facilitated by co-producer Dr. Martin Rosa Martinez, and lightly edited by myself, Daniel Stonefield. All music by G. Gonzalez. Please rate, review, share, and promote this podcast in your networks. And thank you for listening.